town will look to blunt the blades in front of a packed out Kenilworth Road on Saturday afternoon to assess the game and preview it. Alongside me, I've got the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe. Jimbo, ready to get a first double in the Premier League? This one's definitely going to happen. We'll preview it after this intro. Hello everyone, welcome along to the latest episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast, the preview episode for Luton Town versus Sheffield United, Saturday, three o'clock. If you haven't got a ticket, you're out of luck. They're all gone and uh, quite rightly so for what is a huge, huge game of football in the race to beat the drop. As I said, I've got James alongside me as always. James, this is one of those, isn't it? That It's not a banana skin for Luton, but if they, be, if they approach it right, they'll be fine. The, the mentality's got to be spot on here. Just because Sheffield United are getting battered here, there and everywhere doesn't mean to say we've literally got to turn up and win the game. We've just got to have it right. But if we have it right, it's very much a game that we should be looking to win. Absolutely. If they play uh, anywhere near the, with the attack intent they've shown against Brighton and Newcastle and many of the other home games that we've seen as well, then it could be a, a long afternoon for Sheffield United. But they've got to turn up with the right attitude let's be honest I don't think that they ever they rarely sorry don't think you could ever say ever but they rarely turn up with the wrong attitude yeah that's the good thing about these boys isn't it their feet are on the ground they're level headed you know they're never too high never too low I think even Rob's quoted that it makes you think back to the John Steele days when he does it doesn't it Uh, but it's absolutely right Um, but the game of this, this is a weird game of football in many ways isn't it because most of the teams that come to Kenilworth Road, their fans are expecting to win, even though it's at Kenilworth Road and they still think, oh, it's little old loot and turn them over and all of this. Sheffield United come here having to win. You know, it, if Brighton came here and got a draw, whilst their fans would have been pissed off, it's probably not a bad result for them. Ditto, you know, one or two others that have come here recently. Sheffield United have to win, right? 10 point gap between us and them. Were we to win, that becomes 13, 15 games left, or I think it might even be 14 games for them. You ain't catching that. I, I generally think when it gets to a point per game, the difference being, you know, sort of 14 points, 14 games, you're needing snookers. So they're getting into the kind of snookers required stage. So they can't come here. I remember, I think back to a game that they played just before Christmas. They went to Aston Villa. They didn't just park the bus. They put the whole fleet, the plane and everything else in front of the goal. (laughs) They can't do that here, can they? They have to. There's no, oh, point will be okay. They have to win this game of football. And that might just be right up our street. The pressure's massively on them, really. Luton a fly-in. They're off the back of another 5-0 thumping at Aston Villa, uh, against Aston Villa, should I say. And um, yeah, they they have to really come and uh, almost perform a miracle, really, because not not in this game, don't get me wrong, it's just a game of football which anybody can win. But the miracle 
is that they have to overturn historical stats that says they're already down because no team has um, stayed up after halfway through the season amassing less than 15 points. And they've got only 10, so they're still not at that Derby lowest points record of 11, which everyone accused Luton uh, that they'd get 20 points now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they've got to pull off uh, some sort of miracle and they'll have to do it against Luton to start it. Um, otherwise, I don't think they've got any hope really because yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of looking up the table. You know, we're, we're only a point out of the out of the bottom three but that will do come the end of the season um, but everything that's happened in the last eight games really well the Chelsea one even that was positive uh, it, it has pointed to a team that, that, that can can stay up whereas Sheffield United in they all but two months of this season they've shipped at least once they've shipped five goals or more and that's got to be worrying for them yeah, I mean, the form, we know the form, but it's it's perfectly sort of picturized in the fact that for 10 minutes at their place, they were right behind us in the league table. Now they could be come Saturday tea time, 13 points behind us in the league table, same amount of games played over that time. That kind of shows you the progression that we've had, but also the regression that they've had. And just looking at Sheffield United, I mean, looking at it from afar, probably shouldn't say this and, and and it it might be disrespectful but there are shades that they've accepted their fate certainly in the stands cleared off after three goals on um Saturday against Aston Villa well if you think back to when we were three nil down against Chelsea the noise levels just went up again mm-hmm. and that was the kind of difference and and when I watch them on the pitch when a third goal goes in and they're out of a game it goes goes completely and again, you think back to our players on the pitch when that third one went in against Chelsea. Well, let's roll our sleeves up. Let's see what we can get from the game. I don't see that from them. But we can't, for all of that, we can't just turn up and think we're just going to roll these over. We have to treat them. We almost have to treat them as though they're the league leaders and we're nil-nil like when we played against them last season when they were among the league leaders. We need that kind of mentality about us, don't we? And if we do, I'm confident we'll win the game. But it's important to give them respect, even though it is, it does appear from afar that they're kind of starting to become accepted to their fate in the stands, if not on the pitch. Yeah, but I, I still think from the stands, they see Luton as a team that's below them, um, you know, size-wise, uh, expectation-wise, and they think that they should be beating Luton. It's a mistake that many teams have made. The hashtag teams like Luton does the rounds after games like these when um, Luton get a positive result. And I, I, I think that they'll, they'll have that expectation, but they'll also have this level of um, disappointment the minute something doesn't go right. You mentioned that um, they get up to three goals and uh, all the all the fans um, push off. Whereas for Luton, that's not what that's not what happens because Luton go a goal down. You feel they can get back in. They did twice against Newcastle. Uh, even when they got it back to four all, and you're expecting Newcastle to probably go on and cave in. Luton don't. They hold firm, have the best chance to try and win it, and 
there's a whole lot of psychological difference between the two clubs in the way that they approach those situations and, and, and the hard times and the tough times. And that's only going to stand Luton in good stead. You mentioned at the start of this podcast that they take some batterings. And my God, they do take some batterings. They've conceded 13 goals in their last three games. Luton have scored eight goals in our last two games. I mean, the ingredients are all there for a home win, right? But this game will be played on grass. Let's not play it on paper. But their results after these batterings, yeah, they don't get battered twice in succession, but they don't always win. In fact, I believe I'm right in saying the only win they've had after one of these towelings was against Wolves. And I mean, I think Wolves got an apology from Howard Webb, didn't they, for the penalty that was given, which was just a straight up blatant out and out dive. So without that, that's a 1-1 draw. So I'm, I'm kind of putting myself in the position of myself when we took those 7 nil hidings in the championship. We then won the following game against Brentford. Uh, after the Brentford one, we've won the following game. If memory serves, it was against Wigan. Wigan yeah. And then um, when we did, when we lost seven at Fulham, albeit with the circumstances of sacking that off for the, for the following game, we beat Reading to secure our place in the playoffs. This lot don't seem to respond with wins. It, that's, it's, it's kind of, you kind of wonder what, just what their mentality is like. And we always say the first goal in these games are important, but you really do feel if it goes to Luton and goes to Luton early, the afternoon could get messy again for them. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, there doesn't appear to be a bounce back from these heavy defeats and that would only just from a pure mindset, we're all human. You get that many disappointments and that many drubbings, it's going to have an effect. And yeah, that one against Wolves, it was Norwood with a late penalty, like 10 minutes uh, into added time, virtually no chance to um, to respond to that one and yeah, a bit of controversy. But other than that, they've they've, they've lost all of them. And, you, you know, even when you're losing to Crystal Palace 3-2, are not in great form at all. And they're in pretty dire straits uh, if you if you listen to what their fans are saying and and displaying from the stands with their banners and stuff so that doesn't uh, suggest that this uptick the uh, miracle uptick is going to happen anytime soon the, the one thing that's got to happen is Luton have got to absolutely make sure that it doesn't happen and, and go about it the right way and you know if they can get an early goal say a la Brighton maybe not as early as 18 seconds um, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to it. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to eat a sandwich at that point. Maybe we'll come onto that soon. <laughs> That's by the way, Sheffield United fans, I was eating a sandwich when uh, Luton scored that first goal against Brighton. It's not the, not the other thing, but um, uh, you know, while we're on the subject, <laughs> what can, make, can all Luton fans just bring a sandwich to Kenilworth Road and bring it out and start eating it when Chris Wilder appears? Can you please do that? Cause it would just make me so happy. I mean, of all the things to get worked up about in the world, there's <laughs> wars going on around the world. There's cost of living crisis. There's all manner of things. And he's pissed off that a fourth official in his own dressing room, not in Chris Wilder's dressing room, in his own dressing room after a midweek game where I dare say he probably hasn't eaten before the game because he's got to do series of charges up and down the line. Is eating a sandwich? I mean, no offense, mate. You're a bang average Premier League manager if you're that good. You're not the king of the country. If someone wants to eat a sandwich in front of you, then so be it. You know, you've gone to his dressing room. How it's, it's an absolute head's gone moment. And, and it's, it's sort of says to me everything you just said that maybe they're 
exception of their fate that they're picking up on something like that when it should be the fact they've got an absolute drubbing, uh, not for the first time. I mean, how entitled can you be? It's boggling. Uh, Wilder, he's been to Kenilworth Road before fairly recently, all of sort of 10 months ago. Didn't go too well for him uh, when he was in charge of that lot down the road. Absolute no-show from that lot. So if Sheffield United want to do similar on um, Saturday, that'll be handy. There's no Jao Pedro for them, so there might be 11 footballers actually committed for an extent of this game. One that we need to keep quiet is possibly the one decent bit of business Wilder has done, and he is terrible in the transfer market, let me tell you. Uh, Ben Brereton Diaz, that Chilean man who's as English as they come. (laughs) But he looks a good signing. I wasn't sure, actually, when they signed him. Uh, my best mate's a Blackburn fan. I think I've said it on this podcast as we've gone through the championship and he was always sort of 50-50 about him and he did nothing at Villarreal at the start of the season. In fact, I don't even think he scored in La Liga, but he's already got a couple of goals for Sheffield United. So down that left-hand side of theirs, he's just someone that we just need to keep quiet. We've played against him a few times for Blackburn. He hasn't really ripped us apart at any stage, but just be wary of it. He could be something different to what we faced on Boxing Day. Oh, it, it would definitely, it would definitely be that. Um, but whether it's, whether it's going to be effective or not is a different one, different challenge. The one that really annoys me is that um, <laughs> is uh, only Bernie keeps scoring against Luton because he, he does he annoy you as much as a sandwich annoys Chris Wilder? <laughs> yeah, potentially. Yeah. What do you what, what sandwich do you think it was? I mean, what sandwich is going to what sandwich would annoy you the most if somebody was eating it? Do you know what? I can't get annoyed at about a sandwich, mate. But I really do want to know what the what the filling was for this sandwich. <laughs> Got to be a cucumber sandwich, isn't it, it? It has to be some prawn sandwich or something like that, doesn't it? Because he's I a mean, proper hard northern bloke, and he. So I don't think he want to. I mean, if he's eating a salt and vinegar crisp sandwich or something, then I'm saying fair play to you, fella. That is an absolute monster sandwich. You <laughs> you crack on. Do you know what I mean? But a prawn sandwich, well, I can kind of see where he'd get, war, you know, annoyed there. But prawn sandwich at Sellers Park, I, I don't see it. Myself. Is that your go-to sandwich? A, a, crisp sandwich. A crisp sandwich. Absolutely. What, salt and vinegar? Uh, no, that's a decent decent flavour, to be fair. All day long. Let Dis- us know your sandwich choices out there, actually. <laughs> Disco salt and vinegars. I love oh. that. They're the best salt and vinegar ones. What's yeah. your go-to, Sarni? I was going to say something fancy, like a New York deli sandwich, but I didn't even... I didn't even think you could bring Simple. crisp sandwiches into the equation. And now I'm just kind of, my head's gone now. So I'm going to have to have a good old think about this. Simple man, me, mate. Yeah. Ask me something else while I have a think. Butter a couple of slices of bread, whack a packet of crisps in them and jobs, jobs <laughs> are good. And if you want to do that on Saturday, yeah, I'm sure Chris Wilder will absolutely love it. Bring your sandwiches to Kenworth Road, please. <laughs> I can't even believe we've gone down this route. But hey. Every podcast is an experience, that is um, for sure. So, yeah, Brereton Diaz could be an issue one end. Uh, I cut you off in your stride about Ollie McBurney. We all know that he always seems to score against Luton, even though there's nothing really to him apart from elbows and a head. Um, <laughs> but he does, doesn't he? But he didn't play against Aston Villa. Yeah. Now, I was coming back from Newcastle at the time, so I, you know, I, I couldn't have all the sound on the interviews and everything. And um, I don't actually know why he didn't play in that game. And we're recording this before all of the press conferences as we normally do. So I don't know if he is going to play in this game, but surely this time we can keep the bugger quiet if he does play. I really hope so. Cause he hadn't scored for about a million years last time he came to Kenilworth Road and they let him get one in. So, um, yeah, if we can keep that 
uh, quiet. And also, if Archer plays, keep that quiet as well, considering the interest there was briefly, let's be honest, briefly, until the price tag went up to more than um, Luton assembled their entire squad for and got Ross Bartley for free. <laughs> um, keep him quiet as well. Um, and Hamer for once, actually, if he's going to play, because he, he likes a long ranger. Um, it's the only one that, um, no, he's not the only one. I'm doing a disservice there. I think um, Norwood's pretty good and McAtee uh, are pretty good. So there's a few players there to to try and keep keep quiet. And obviously we don't want a, a, a slug fest like uh, Newcastle. I would want the excitement levels, but not the, the ding-dong goal um, back and forth basketball style. Um, I'd be quite happy with a comfortable couple of goals in each half, but um, you know they 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 do have threats. But Luton have had such good results against them of late. I think that the confidence there is is to go and do it again. Yep, three wins in succession uh, against this lot. Um, sorry, going for a third win in succession against this lot. Should I say? Um, that's the front end of the pitch for them, but the other end of the pitch. I mean. Already conceded over 50 goals, comfortably over 50 goals this season, which tells you everything you need to know. Their captain, I'm not going to butcher his name. I've but I butchered it too many times in the first first game. Elijah had him on toast in that first game, didn't he? He got booked for diving in on Elijah very early on in that game. By all accounts, from everything I read from Sheffield United, um, fan accounts and everything else, he wants out. And he's making it pretty obvious he wants out, which kind of begs the question why he's the captain in the first place. Um, So all is not well there. Mm. Between the sticks, they're an absolute mess. I mean, Fodringham was never better than bang average. They've gone out and signed a keeper, a Croatian keeper in January. He's played game and a half, conceded seven goals, popped off with concussion in the second half against Crystal Palace. And Fodringham's back in, I'm guessing the Croatian fellow will be back from uh, concussion protocols and everything for this game. But the evidence is he hadn't shored them up any and they just look there for the taking at the back as they did at their place. I keep on hearing or reading or everything else, people who just look at stats telling me that Sheffield United were unlucky to lose that day. They were not unlucky to lose on Boxing Day. They were bloody lucky they didn't go in four or five down at half time. Then, to their credit, they turned it round with a couple of bit of pinball wizards in the box. And then they were stupid enough to score twice for us. <laughs> but for the first hour, it was as controlled in a way performance as I've seen from Luton at the time. I've obviously seen two very good ones since. And yeah, at the back, they just, they, <laughs> you, don't, you don't even need to say they look a mess. You just got to look at the league table. It tells you they were a mess at the back. Yeah, I agree. Um, you've got to put them under all the pressure you can you can because there's mistakes all over the the place there to be had um and luna luna just in a really rich vein of chance creating form but also goals <laughs> obviously the last two games four in each but the amount of chances being created is great and and from open play as well now whereas people had luton pegged as a set piece tie side that's still a massive weapon in the in the armory, but when you've got Ross Barkley in the form of his life like he is now and, and Samby as well, pinging wonderful balls into the forwards and and them hitting the target and scoring. There's so many different ways that 
they're going to have to worry about Luton, I think, um, and uh, especially at Kenilworth Road. In, in that second half when they got on top, it was because the crowd were helping them along. They're not going to have that at Kenilworth Road. It's going to be different, different situation totally. Yeah, it is. It'll be interesting to see how desperate they do get, knowing that they have to win this game, how many men they send forward whether they even change their formation and try and be a bit more attacking. I don't know if they've got the personnel to do that or the will indeed to do it. But either way, you know, there are threats up front, but you've got to think we can get this back line. And I think back to the away game, James, and Alfie Doughty had an absolute field day down that right-hand side, didn't he? He played on the right that day. Um, I can't actually remember where Issa Kabore was. Um, and then... Uh, Ryan Jar started down the left-hand side, didn't he? Well, that's not going to happen. So it'll be Doughty down the left, presumably Chia down the right. Rob's a hard man if Chia doesn't get in the side <laughs> on, the, on Saturday, that's for sure. Um, so it'll be Chia up against whoever they decide to utilise at left-back. And based on the way Alfie Doughty ran right down there in that first half in particular, of course, he scored his uh, first Premier League goal, didn't he? Um, in the first half of that game, you've got to think Chia's going to have plenty of joy. I mean, he's just twisted and turned and forced Dan Byrne into submission mm -hmm. and he's going to get another shot at a left back to do the same. Yeah, all, the, all this kind of the year. I mean, since this has been at the AFCON, I know he's back now, but I don't see he gets back in at the moment the way that uh, the team are performing in, as a whole, but also Chio in that um, that that role. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he gets back in. Like you say, I think it would be a difficult decision Although I did say that um, for the Newcastle game where I thought that um, Mengi wouldn't get back in purely because Burke played. But I think the circumstances are different there, isn't it? Because Burke, to a certain ex uh, extent, we're going to have to wrap him up in cotton wool a little bit. He played two 90 minutes after a very long layoff. So that's probably the right decision. But, um, you know, Chio is, he was electric at St. James's Park. So, yeah, you've got to let him loose again. You do. Do you see any team changes for Luton? After that that game up at Newcastle, no, honestly. I think that in, in an attacking sense, they were fabulous. Um, there were obviously some mistakes um, at, at the back, but I th they're almost uh, counting some of these into the equation, aren't they? Because... And we've talked about it in previous podcasts, the way that they're going to play that high line with the three. Um, there's not many players that are going to be able to run past them. Like, all credit to him. Uh, Anthony Gordon um, showed Gabe Osho a clean pair of heels. But the, the reason that they're confident doing that, because they can mostly recover against most sides. And there's not a lot of pace in there. They do have pacey players that could cause problems. But Rian Bruce has never done it for him and doesn't really play, does he? Doesn't start. And uh, Archer hasn't got the amount of goals that his price tag price tag determined. So I, I think that they'd be fairly confident in that. Um, that and uh, you know Newcastle at home a, f a far different prospect to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Sheffield, sorry, sorry, Blades, not Wednesday. They're in rubbing time as well, aren't they? But um, they're Sheffield United. Uh, I think um, I think that that. That back line has, has served Luton very well, and I think they'll start again. I did see a tweet on Sunday, actually, um, 
I think it was in jest, but it might not have been. Someone said Sheffield United season ticket holders should swap season tickets with Sheffield Wednesday season ticket holders because at least they'll see some fun in their rivals getting beat every weekend. (laughs) And I thought, fair enough. Yeah, because they don't seem to be having any fun, apparently, Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday fans, not like Luton fans who are having the time of their life. So I thought, yeah, that was kind of quite funny, actually. And um you could almost see that happening in a way. Yeah, no, we'll we'll match them up, won't we? We'll go th- man for man, three on three at the back. Absolutely. Bengi will take Brereton Diaz. Osho will take McBurney if he's there. And Bell will have McAtee. And then we'll look to put the rest of them uh, up against us in, in the other part of the pitch. Of course, it's easier to do that here than at St. James's Park because the pitch is a lot smaller and a lot more uh, within sort of range. We compress a lot better and... As I said in that Newcastle review, we were finding we were having to press 20, 25 yards of space all the time. It's very rarely more than 10 yards of space at Kenilworth Road. So that certainly um, suits us. I guess the one man who could come in from an attacking point of view is Andros Townsend. He didn't play at all at um, Newcastle and a bit part at Everton uh, the weekend before uh, and a a bit part against um, Brighton as well. So he'll be kind of fresh. You've got to think at some point, as fit and as brilliant as he's been, Jordan Clark might need a little bit of a rest. So, and Townsend was so good at Bramall Lane. Uh, he was pinging thunderbolts from here, there and everywhere. And maybe that's a change that might happen. I'm not saying it will do if Jordan Clark's fit to go again. And of course, he's had a full week to recover and things. Then no problem whatsoever with Jordan Clark going again. But, you know, Andros, he's a, he's an option if, you know, if Jordan does need a, you know, 45 minutes out of the team or whatever. He is. The benefit of this um, formation change that we've talked about so much is that it, it benefits so many of the players. If they're not playing, they can come in and fill that role. But at the minute, um, Morris is having a, a field day at the moment. It's, he's really coming to his own there. He's adapted to that position. He's obviously the captain. So I think he he probably comes in. Good record against Sheffield United too. Absolutely. Scored the winner there in the championship season and turned the game when he came on on Boxing Day. Absolutely, yeah, he, he did. And that was the sort of um, renaissance this season for, for Colton Morris up at Bramwell Lane, that that um, performance and the way he just put it in the right areas, really. That, that's the area he'd want to see it in as a striker. And if he's not scoring goals, assisting is the next best thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be disappointed either way if if Clark was rested for for Townsend because he did put in a huge shift and uh, two actually he was fantastic but um um yeah I, I, it, it's one of these things where they've hit upon uh, a thing that works for the whole squad so far so whoever comes into those positions just feel that they can really cause some damage yeah, we mentioned that on a previous podcast, didn't we? That this three four two one uh, that we've transitioned into just benefits so many more members of the squad, mm. brings so many more of them into play, uh, and you've seen it ever since. Since we mentioned it, you've seen it. I mean, Corley's had an impact when he's come on as in a ten position. Okay, he came on sort of up front for Elijah on Saturday at Newcastle, but that was just a needs must kind of thing. Elijah would run himself well and truly into the ground, but it brings Chong into the game. It brings Clark Townsend Brown. Barry, there's so many of them that can play that two behind the one. And, and of course, we've got Elijah and Morris who can both play that one role up front as well. So the options of those three, you're looking at kind of 10 players that can alternate between those two. Where we're kind of not so well sort of stocked, 
and where you would worry about an injury would be Barkley and Lakonga, where no disrespect whatsoever, but the backups Pelly, whilst whilst Marvelous is out injured, and Pelly's great, but you know you is it top 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 level down to sort of the next rung down really that that's probably bigger than those three positions ahead of them. But hey, someone's got to get near Barkley to injure him, and they ain't managed to do that yet. So um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, they dominated them at their place those two didn't they again they had three in midfield Sheffield United uh, Lukonga was the one who played that pass down to Doughty for the um, opening goal uh, and Barkley was just brilliant as Barkley always is if they dominate them again good things are going to happen for Luton on Saturday they should dominate them because they've I think you mentioned it in the previous podcast they've got the Luton have got the best midfield in that bottom half the midfield trio any of those teams would kill for Ross Barkley in this form. Sam Conga, Jordan Clark coming in and supporting. They, they would. Um, and if they can perform to the best of their abilities, they're a handful for the top six, let alone anyone in the bottom half. And that's why one of the major reasons why we're so confident, really, about about these games coming up. Um, you know, Ross Barkley is just a phenomenal player, and he's. Yeah, getting better and better and better and it doesn't matter whether he's facing up against you know Martin Odegaard or uh, Rodri um, he's, he's, there's no fear whatsoever he's playing fantastically and uh, I just want to see him out there doing his thing Indeed roll on Saturday um, for that that's for sure yes yeah, so Sheffield United could pose a threat but you've got to think that Luton can, pose, can impose ourselves on them going forward certainly their back line looks an awful lot more vulnerable than what our one does, particularly our one at Kenworth Road, which has got ever better two clean sheets in its last three home Premier League games and looking a lot more secure. Chelsea just kind of feasted on a mistake out wide and I saw a couple of really good goals, to be fair, that sort of £100 million players score and we're not up against any of them here. Um that's it really for this preview part of the podcast, but we're not going to leave you without a score prediction as we always do. Uh, obviously the last two have been nigh on impossible to predict and it might be that we look back on this when we do the review and this one's impossible to predict as well, but who knows? We'll give it a good go. Uh, Luton Town versus Sheffield United. James, I think if you're expecting a low scoring game here, you're barking up the wrong tree, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um that's not to say it won't happen, but just the must-win nature of it for Sheffield United suggests there's going to be goals somewhere along the line. How does this one end? Yeah, I think they have to go for it a little bit, which will them open, and then that plays into the hands of that midfield trio that we're talking about that can um, they can play if you sit sit back, and they can definitely run through you if you open them up if you open up the spaces. So I think that there's goals in it, um, as ever. I think that. There may be goals in it for Sheffield United. Um, don't keep too many clean sheets. Um, so I'm going to go for a not quite as high score in one as the last two games, but a 3-1. 3-1 to Luton for James. Um, have they renamed Luton Town, Luton Town 4, you know? <laughs> they have done. Uh, and they'll keep on renaming it after this one because I think Luton are going to score four for a third game in succession. If we can score three at their place and barely have a shot on goal uh, after um, we t- took the lead, surely <laughs> to Christ we can score four at our place. 4-1 Luton for me in this game. 
I, I agree with you. I just think the must-win nature of it will give Sheffield United some sort of early sniff or some, you know, maybe even pride for a consolation or something will get them a goal. Thing is, though, if they, if that does happen, if they get an early one, the instinct would be to try and sit back and just park the bus. But that's not going to work with Luton because they can go through you with Barkley and Congo or they can play it down the wings. And I, I think it's yeah, it will spur the home crowd on as well so I think they're they're going to have to play it quite um, cutely somehow um, I'm, I'm not sure they've got that in them No and if Luton do score early or get the first goal sometime in that first half I mean we flipped the lid haven't we it used to be last 15 minutes we scored now we're scoring in the first half it's great to see love watching Luton score in the first half actually more of, <laughs> more of them please um, yeah if we get that early goal I mean the capitulation could be on again because we're rampant at the minute yeah and uh, they're obviously shot for, shot for confidence. So, um, yeah, I see a comfortable Luton win in this game. I, and, I, and I genuinely am saying that as how I see it. I'm not saying it to be controversial or anything. I, I'm just using what I saw with my own eyes on Boxing Day and what the numbers tell me since then. I think Luton win this game. As long as we approach it in the right way and Rob Edwards has approached every single game in the right way, he'll get the boys going in the right direction. I just think we're too good for Sheffield United in their current plight. 4-1 for me, 3-1 for James. Let us know what your score prediction is. As ever, if you do get it right, we will give you a shout out in the review episode of the podcast. Any other reflections before we uh, say goodbye, James? Bring your sandwiches to Kenworth Road. <laughs> have you t- have you actually worked out what your favourite sandwich is yet? Um, I'm, I'm still sticking with the New York Deli. I like that one. Very, uh, very posh from uh, from James. Goes, I, goes overseas. I had one in Kenilworth Road the last game. That was the sandwich I was eating when um, they scored the first goal against Brighton. So maybe it's a maybe it's an omen. Maybe I just have to stuff a New York Daily sandwich in my face from the kickoff and see what happens. Is that a Cristiano made um, New York Daily? He makes some good tucker. That bloke. He does. He does make some good food. But no, I think they bought that one in. All right. Fair enough. Apologies to Cristiano. Um, we digress, of course. That is it for this episode of the podcast. If you want to let us know what your favourite sandwich is, crack on. We <laughs> uh, we don't mind at all. As I say, crisp sandwich for me. Happy days. Um, thank you very much for watching or listening. Thank you to everyone who's subscribing. The subscriber numbers are going through the roof. We have not forgotten about the giveaway that we have promised you. We are just waiting for a game to be rescheduled. And then once that date is known, we will announce that. We'll have a couple of th- couple of prizes or more for our subscribers to get stuck into and really really looking forward to um letting you know what that is um thanks james for keeping me company for this preview of the sheffield united game the review will be out as always the monday after the game and we'll look ahead to the manchester united home game in the same week but until then thanks very much to the hightown club for hosting the podcast to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for the wonderful intro music, which everyone seems to be really, really enjoying that I speak to. To Ed Smith, uh, creative for all of the designs that you see on set. And of course, once again, for you for watching or listening, let's have them score predictions. And until the review episode, come on you at us. Huge, huge weekend, particularly with the fixtures that are on also this weekend with regards to Everton playing Man City. Burnley playing Liverpool and uh, 
Newcastle taking on Nottingham Forest. This could be a real, real, real big Saturday and Sunday for us. It could be the one that makes survival a whole, whole lot closer. So until then, come on, you hatters. Massive souls. We're local people. And 